0: Welcome to exploring the Catechism, the Council of Trent, in a year. I'm Mark Langley, and today is day 72 in our exploration. Today we will continue our study of the Eucharist, the sacrament of the Eucharist, and we're going to talk about the meaning of the real presence and uh, begin our study of transubstantiation. So let us begin by reading. Um, it's approximately page 233 in my text, and we have the subheading: the meaning. Of the real presence christ whole and entire is present in the eucharist here the pastor should explain that in this sacrament are contained not only the true body of christ and all the constituents of a true body such as bones and sinews but also christ whole and entire he should point out that the word christ designates the god-man that is to say one person in whom are united the divine and human natures. That the Holy Eucharist, therefore, contains both, and whatever is included in the idea of both, the divinity and humanity whole and entire, consisting of the soul, all the parts of the body and the blood, all of which must be believed to be in the sacrament. In heaven the whole humanity is united to the divinity in one hypostasis, or person hence it would be impious to suppose that the body of christ which is contained in the sacrament is separated from his divinity the next subheading is the presence in virtue of the sacrament and in virtue of concomitance pastors however should not fail to observe that in this sacrament not all, not all these things are contained after the same manner or by the same power Some things we say are present in virtue of the consecration. For as the words of consecration effect what they signify, sacred writers usually say that whatever the form expresses is contained in the sacrament by virtue of the sacrament. Hence, could we suppose any one thing to be entirely separated from the rest, the sacrament they teach would be found to contain solely what the form expresses and nothing more. On the other hand, some things are contained in the sacrament because they are united to those which are expressed in the form. For instance, the words, This is my body, which comprise the form used to consecrate the bread, signify the body of the Lord, and hence the body itself of Christ the Lord is contained in the Eucharist by virtue of the sacrament. Since, however, to Christ's body are united his blood, his soul, and his divinity. All of these also must be found to coexist in the sacrament, not however by virtue of the consecration, but by virtue of the union that subsists between them and his body. All these are said to be in the Eucharist by virtue of concomitance. Hence, it is clear that Christ whole and entire is contained in the sacrament. For when two things are actually united, where one is, the other must be. Uh, The next subheading is Christ whole and entire, present under each species. Hence, it also follows that Christ is so contained whole and entire under either species that, as under the species of bread, are contained not only the body, but also the blood and Christ entire, so in like manner, under the species of wine, are truly contained not only the blood, but also the body and Christ entire. But although these are matters on which the faithful cannot entertain a doubt, it was nevertheless wisely ordained that two distinct consecrations should take place. First, because they represent in a more lively manner the passion of our Lord, in which his blood was separated from his body. And hence, in the form of consecration, we commemorate the shedding of his blood. Secondly, since the sacrament is so, it is to be used by us as the food and nourishment of our souls, it was most appropriate that it should be instituted as food and drink, two things which obviously constitute the complete sustenance of the human body. Nor should it be forgotten that Christ, whole and entire, is contained not only under either species, but also in each particle of either species. Each, says St. Augustine, receives Christ the Lord, and he is entire in each portion. He is not diminished by being given to many, but gives himself whole and entire to each. This is also an obvious inference from the narrative of the evangelists. It is not to be supposed that our Lord consecrated the bread used at the Last Supper in separate parts, applying the form particularly to each, but that all the bread, then used for the sacred mysteries, was consecrated at the same time, and with the same form, and in a quantity sufficient for all the apostles. That the consecration of the chalice was performed in this manner is clear from these words of the Savior, Take and divide it among you. That's in Luke chapter 22, verse 17. What has hitherto been said is intended to enable pastors to show that the true body and blood of Christ are contained in the sacrament of the Eucharist. Our next subheading is the mystery of transubstantiation. The next point to be explained is that the substance of the bread and wine does not continue to exist in the sacrament after consecration. This truth, although well calculated to excite our profound admiration, is yet a necessary consequence from what has been already established. Proof from the Dogma of the Real Presence If, after consecration, the true body of Christ is present under the species of bread and wine, since it was not there before, it must have become present either by change of place or by creation or by the change of some other thing into it. It cannot be rendered present by change of place because it would then cease to be in heaven For whatever is moved must necessarily cease to occupy the place from which it is moved. Still less can we suppose the body of Christ to be rendered present by creation, nay, the very idea is inconceivable. In order that the body of our Lord be present in this sacrament, it remains, therefore, that it be rendered present by the change of the bread into it. Wherefore, it is necessary that none of the substance of the bread remain. Hence, our predecessors in the faith, the fathers of the general councils of Lateran and of Florence, confirmed by solemn decrees the truth of this dogma. In the Council of Trent, it was still more fully defined in these words, If any anyone shall say that in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist, The substance of the bread and wine remains. Together with the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Proof from the Scriptures The doctrine thus defined is a natural inference from the words of Scripture. When instituting this this sacrament, our Lord himself said, This is my body. The word this expresses the entire substance of the thing present. And therefore, if the substance of the bread remained, our Lord could not have truly said, This is my body. In St. John, Christ the Lord also says, The bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The bread which he promises to give, he here declares to be his flesh. A little after, he adds, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. And again, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Since therefore in terms so clear and so explicit he calls his flesh bread and meat indeed, and his blood drink indeed, he gives us sufficiently to understand that none of the substance of the bread and wine remains in the sacrament. Proof from the Fathers Whoever turns over the pages of the Holy Fathers will easily perceive that on this doctrine of transubstantiation, they have been at all times unanimous. St. Ambrose says, You say, perhaps, this bread is no other than what is used for common food. True, before consecration it is bread, but no sooner are the words of consecration pronounced than from bread it becomes the flesh of Christ. And that's the quote from St. Ambrose. To prove this position more clearly, he elucidates it by a variety of comparisons and examples. In another place, when explaining these words of the psalmist, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, he hath done in heaven and on earth. St. Ambrose says, Although the species of bread and wine are visible, yet we must believe that after consecration, the body and blood of Christ are alone there explaining the same doctrine almost in the same words St Hilary says that although externally it appear bread and wine yet in reality it is the body and blood of the Lord and the next subheading is why the eucharist is called bread after consecration here pastors should observe that we should not at all be surprised if even after consecration the eucharist is sometimes called bread It is so called, first because it retains the appearance of bread, and secondly because it keeps the natural quality of bread, which is to support and nourish the body. Moreover, such phraseology is in perfect accordance with the usage of the Holy Scriptures, which which call things by what they appear to be, as may be seen from the words of Genesis, which say that Abraham saw three men, when in reality he saw three angels. That's from Genesis chapter 18 verse 2. In like manner the two angels who appeared to the apostles after the ascension of Christ the Lord into heaven are called not angels but men. And that's in Acts chapter 1 verse 10. And now let's Uh, Backtrack a little bit by looking at uh, the Summa Theologica, where St. Thomas uh, talks about these same things. In question 76 of the third part of the Summa, he asks the question, the whole question is entitled, of the way in which Christ is in the sacrament. And the first article is, whether the whole Christ is contained under the sacrament. And we'll read a couple of objections first. Um, sometimes we just read the body of the article, the reply. Uh, but, but let's look at the, a couple of objections here for the light that they can shed on, the, on some of the issues. The first objection is that it seems that the whole Christ is not contained under the sacrament. Because Christ begins to be in the sacrament by conversion of the bread and wine but it is evident that the bread and wine cannot be changed either into the godhead or into the soul of christ since therefore christ exists in three substances namely the godhead the soul and body as shown above it seems that the entire christ is not under this sacrament so that's an interesting objection i think the objector is saying that um, bread cannot be changed into the soul of Christ or bread can't be changed into the Godhead um, because those are both spiritual things and bread is very physical. So how could the Godhead or the or the soul uh, be changed into something physical? Um, so it would seem that the Eucharist is not the whole of Christ because by the whole of Christ we mean the Godhead, the soul, and the body. Um, so that's the first objection. We'll see how St. Thomas answers that in a moment. Uh, second, The second objection, which we'll read, is further, Christ is in this sacrament for as much as it is ordained to the perfection of the faithful, which consists in food and drink as stated above. But our Lord said, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. That's in John six, fifty-six. Therefore, only the flesh and blood of Christ are contained in this sacrament. But there are many other parts of Christ's body, for instance, the nerves, bones, and such like. Therefore, the entire Christ is not contained under this sacrament. Uh, so that's, that's also a good objection. Uh, do we really mean that the bones and sinews and, um, and everything is there in the sacrament? Or do we just mean, as Christ appears to have said in John, my flesh is meat. So maybe the Eucharist is simply the flesh of Christ and not everything else. So let's, uh, let's go to the body of the article, and then we'll reply to those two objections. St. Thomas says, I answer that it is absolutely necessary to confess, according to Catholic faith, that the entire Christ is in this sacrament. Yet we must know that there is something of Christ in this sacrament in a twofold manner, first, as it were, by the power of the sacrament, secondly, from natural concomitants. By the power of the sacrament, there is under the species of the sacrament that into which the pre-existing substance of the bread and wine is changed, as expressed by the words of the form, which are effective in this as in the other sacraments, for instance, by the words, this is my body, or this is my blood. But from natural concomitance, there is also in this sacrament that which is really united with that thing wherein the aforesaid conversion is terminated. For if any two things be really united, then wherever the one is really, there must the other also be, since things really united together are only distinguished by an operation of the mind. So there we have this, um, this teaching on the word concomitance. Uh, interestingly, the, uh, the word comitor, comitari in Latin means to accompany. So concomitance means to accompany with. So uh, St. Thomas is saying that um, if one thing is really united to another, then um, wherever I have the one, there also do I have another. So, um, how does he answer those objections? Well, in the reply to the first objection, St. Thomas says, Because the change of the bread and wine is not terminated at the Godhead or the soul of Christ, it follows as a consequence that the Godhead or the soul of Christ is in this sacrament not by the power of the sacrament, but from real concomitance. For since the Godhead never set aside the assumed body, Wherever the body of Christ is, there of necessity must the Godhead be, and therefore it is necessary for the Godhead to be in the sacrament concomitantly with His body. Hence, we read in the profession of faith at Ephesus, "We are made partakers of the body and blood of Christ, not as taking common flesh, nor as of a holy man united to the Word and dignity, but the truly life-giving flesh of the Word." himself. On the other hand, his soul was truly separated from his body as stated above, and therefore had this sacrament been celebrated during those three days when he was dead, the soul of Christ would not have been there, neither by the power of the sacrament nor from real concomitance. But since Christ rising from the dead dieth now no more, that's Romans chapter 6 verse 9, his soul is always un- really united with his body. And therefore, in the sacrament, the body indeed of Christ is present by the power of the sacrament, but his soul from real concomitance. So, that's a very instructive reply to the objection. Um, on the one hand, it gives us two excellent examples of things which are really united with the body namely, the, the Godhead is united to the body of Christ. And, um, and then the soul is united to the body of Christ, except for those three days um, where St. Thomas says if this sacrament had been celebrated during those three days when Christ descended into hell, um, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that the Eucharist um, was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. I guess we would just leave the soul part. We'd say it's the body, blood, and divinity of Christ Christ. Uh, but then he quickly points out that, um, as St. Paul says, um, Christ rising from the dead dieth now no more. So therefore, the soul and the divinity is united to the body of Christ concomitantly. Uh, and again, let's read the second, obj- the reply to the second objection, uh, which is the objection in which the objector said, "Christ is my." My flesh is meat indeed. So is the Eucharist only his flesh and blood? St. Thomas replies, By the power of the sacrament there is contained under it, as to the species of the bread, not only the flesh, but the entire body of Christ. That is the bones, the nerves, and the like. And this is apparent from the form of the sacrament wherein it is not said, This is my flesh, but this is my body. Accordingly, when our Lord said in John 6.56, My flesh is meat indeed, there the word flesh is put for the entire body, because according to human custom, it seems to be more adapted for eating, as men commonly are fed on the flesh of animals, but not on the bones or the like. So um, that's an interesting reply, which St. Thomas says, um, no, the form of the sacrament is this is my body, not this is my flesh. And then he gives a reason for why Christ mm-hmm. said my flesh is meat indeed. Um, not to signify that the Eucharist itself is just its flesh, but rather that the, um, it's customary for human beings to eat the flesh of animals, and so he puts the word flesh there, um, indicating his whole body, but he puts it just under the word flesh. Let's also take a look at the second article of question 76, where St. Thomas asks the question, whether the whole Christ is contained under each species of this sacrament? And so again, he's going to say something similar, but um, the question is, if Christ is contained under each species, then why do we need to have both species? Uh, It would seem to be sort of superfluous. And I think one of the objections says that, but we're not going to read the objections. We'll go right to the body now. And St. Thomas says, I answer that after what we have said above, it must be held most certainly that the whole Christ is under each sacramental species, yet not alike in each. For the body of Christ is indeed present under the species of bread by the power of the sacrament, while the blood is there from real concomitants as stated above in regard to the soul and Godhead of Christ. And under the species of wine, the blood is present by the power of the sacrament and his body by real concomitance, as is also his soul and Godhead. Uh, so that's interesting that the That the, um, Christ's body is contained, is the, um, under the species of bread, um, and then his blood is under the species of wine, but the, um, other, uh, parts of Christ, namely his, his, um, soul and divinity are contained in the sacrament under each species concomitantly, um, and then also, when Christ is received under the species of wine, his body is present concomitantly. And then when we receive uh, the Eucharist under the species of bread, we say his blood is um, is present concomitantly. So that's interesting. St. Thomas continues uh, saying something similar uh, that he did in the previous article. He said that... Um, and his body by real concomitance, as as is also his soul and godhead, because now Christ's blood is not separated from his body, as it was at the time of his passion and death. Hence, if this sacrament had been celebrated then, the body of Christ would have been under the species of the bread, but without the blood, and under the species of wine, the blood would have been present without the body, as it was then, in fact. So, similarly, when he said that, if the Eucharist, if the sacrament had been celebrated during Christ's ascent into hell, then we couldn't say that his soul was united to his body at that time. Uh, Similarly, if the sacrament of the Eucharist had been celebrated um, right after the Passion, when his blood was separated from his body, as the scriptures say, then we wouldn't say that the blood was concomitantly united to the body, at that moment. So those are sort of two extraordinary exceptions, um, but that get to the idea that when we celebrate the Eucharist, um, when the priest celebrates the Eucharist and when we receive it, we receive it um, not um, being celebrated at those specific um, kind of extraordinary moments. But here let's go to the reply to the first objection, where St. Thomas explains why do we have Christ under both species. At least he addresses this to some extent. He says, Although the whole Christ is under each species, yet it is so not without purpose. For in the first place, this serves to represent Christ's passion in which the blood was separated from the body. Hence, in the form of the consecration of the blood, mention is made of its shedding." Secondly, it is in keeping with the use of the sacrament that Christ's body be shown apart to the faithful as food and the blood as drink. Thirdly, it is in keeping with its effect, in which sense it was stated above, that the body is offered for the salvation of the body, and the blood for the salvation of the soul. So um, that's the second article in Question seventy six. Let's just read one more article on this topic. Um, It's the third article where St. Thomas asks whether Christ is entire under every part of the species of the bread and wine. And there in the reply, again skipping over the objections, he says, I answer that, as was observed above, because the substance of Christ's body is in the sacrament by the power of the sacrament, while dimensive quantity is there by reason of real concomitance. Consequently, Christ's body is in this sacrament substantively, that is, in the way in which substance is under dimensions, but not after the manner of dimensions, which means not in the way in which the dimensive quantity of a body is under the dimensive quantity of place. Now, it is evident that the whole nature of a substance is under every part of the dimensions under which it is contained, just as the entire nature of air is under every part of air, and the entire nature of bread under every part of bread. And this indifferently, whether the dimensions be actually divided, as when the air is divided or the bread is cut, or whether they be actually undivided, but potentially divisible. And therefore it is manifest that the entire Christ is under every part of the species of the bread, even while the host remains entire, and not merely when it is broken, as some say, giving the example of an image which appears in a mirror, which appears as one in the unbroken mirror, whereas when the mirror is broken, there is an image in each part of the broken mirror. For the comparison is not perfect because the multiplying of such images results in the broken mirror on account of the various reflections in the various parts of the mirror. But here there is only one consecration whereby Christ's body is in this sacrament. So that's uh, extraordinary. Um, I think the one of the main takeaways there, though, is that just as air, the entire substance of air is in every part of the air, so the entire substance of Christ is in every part of the Eucharist. Um, but elsewhere, St. Thomas explains that Christ is not uh, contained in the Eucharist as in place, um, because... He, uh, his body is at the right hand of the Father. And so if, um, if, so he doesn't leave that place, but Christ is in the Eucharist in the manner of substance, um, as substance is uh, there. So we will end there talking about these extraordinarily difficult uh, this extraordinarily difficult mystery. Uh, in our next episode we will talk, further about the mystery of transubstantiation and try to plummet this a little bit further insofar as our um, minds allow us to gain some light on the subject thank you very much for joining me in this episode of exploring the catechism of the council of trent in a year i'm mark langley and we look forward to talking to you next time